0: We'll take our text this morning from Psalm 27. We'll read just two verses, Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This morning we'll consider a subject or a topic that's familiar to all of us. We'll be considering discouragement. We've all no doubt encountered times or maybe even uh, seasons of discouragement. The psalmist here who wrote these words uh, certainly had encountered his share of discouraging circumstances in his life, but he also knew where his source of help and strength was was in the Lord, that's our source of help and strength. So we'll consider encouragement versus discouragement. The Word of God mentions both. The phrase, be of good courage, is actually mentioned over 15 times in Scripture. Believe it or not, the phrase, be discouraged, is mentioned three times. Of course, this is where context is very important. We have to understand how God uses that phrase, be discouraged. The first example we see is in Deuteronomy 1.21. The Lord says, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Isaiah 42.4, speaking of Christ, says he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth. Colossians 3.21 gives us As fathers, this is an instruction to us. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So that's how the Lord uses that phrase, be discouraged. Obviously, we understand God doesn't make allowances for discouragement. He understands that we're human beings. He understands that we go through times of discouragement. We are emotional and physical beings as well as spiritual beings, so certainly life brings discouraging times but the lord doesn't want us to stay there he does understand when we may find ourselves in a place like that but the lord can help us during times of discouragement we don't want to confuse discouragement with condemnation or conviction there's a big difference i remember a testimony of a brother who still attends church here, he said years ago he was tired of his life of sin and he was miserable and discouraged and said it got so bad he thought he was going to lose his mind, so he decided to shake that feeling and he thought, well, if I start coming to church, I can encourage myself. So he started coming to church, but you know what? It didn't help. Thought well, maybe I'll give money to the church. So he started uh, paying tithe and giving money to the church. Uh, Still discouraged and depressed, and just burdened by sin. He thought, well, maybe I should do something nice for some other people. So uh, one Saturday, he made fifty bologna sandwiches. He took them downtown and handed them out to the people living on the streets, thinking maybe that would help him be encouraged. Didn't help. Finally, one night, he was sitting in a church service and. So the preacher just asked a simple question, who are you serving? And he realized, there's the problem. He wasn't serving the Lord. He felt condemnation and guilt at that point. And he came down and he prayed a prayer of honest repentance. The Lord saved him, took away that feeling of guilt and condemnation. Uh, this man's had his share of trials and struggles, but he recognized the difference, discouragement, is not necessarily condemnation or guilt. So we need to understand the difference. But when we're doing the right thing, when we're serving the Lord, when we're doing everything we can to walk in faith and obedience, we know then when discouragement comes, we can recognize it for what it is. And we can look to the Lord to help us. You know, if you've been discouraged, you're in good company. Think about some of those men in the Bible who had times of discouragement. Moses had times of discouragement. Even Joshua, we don't read about very many times, but he had times of discouragement. The prophet Elijah, you know, this great man of God, this prophet, who saw the Lord do so many amazing things, even he got discouraged. Matter of fact, it got so bad that he asked the Lord at one point to take his life. He says, it's enough, I'm done. And you, know, you think about Elijah, you think about the things he encountered in his life. That showdown on Mount Carmel when God came down and consumed that sacrifice and defeated those prophets of Baal uh, and the children of Israel turned back to God. You would have thought he would have been encouraged and strengthened, but in just a few verses, Jezebel threatens his life and he takes off running for his life, hiding in a cave, wanting to die. But I like what God said to him. He, came to Elijah and he said, What doest thou here? In other words, uh, I have something for you to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in that place of discouragement. Maybe the Lord is saying, What doest thou here? God wants to take you out of that place. He had something for Elijah to do and he strengthened him. But uh, these men realized they had seasons of discouragement, but the Lord didn't leave them there. God doesn't want us to stay in that place. God hadn't forsaken them. God hasn't forsaken you. There's a wonderful promise in Psalm 37, verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When it says a good man, it's referring to a righteous man, a godly man. It's referring to a person who's committed their life to Christ. Those that are following the Lord In faith and obedience, you realize what the ramifications are of that promise? It's wonderful, really, if you think about it. You know, the life of a Christian isn't just some random set of occurrences or events. It says the steps of a good man are ordered. They're ordered by the Lord. If you're in a time of discouragement and you're serving the Lord, God knows right where you are. God has ordered your steps. And God will give you grace and strength. You know, when we realize that, we can say, I'm going to trust the Lord. No matter what my circumstances may be, God is in control. God orders the steps of a good man, a righteous man. Christ himself faced times of discouragement. We know it says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Lord had to deal with people's unbelief. Uh, you read a couple different places in Scripture there where he said he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. One verse even says he marveled at their unbelief. You think about Christ as he uh, and during that triumphal entry and as he passed through that city and he went out and he looked out over Jerusalem. He said he wept, wept over that city because they'd missed their day of visitation. Certainly Christ knew what it was like to face. Times of discouragement. Think about when he prayed in the garden, knowing what he would face, but you know he was our perfect example. Father, not my will, but thine be done. He knew God had a bigger purpose and a bigger plan. We can follow Christ's example. We want to look to the Lord. What kind of things might cause us to be discouraged? Well, how about the actions of others? Sometimes you can be doing the right thing, you can be trying to serve the Lord. Uh, you know your heart is honest before the Lord, your motives are pure, and sometimes people can respond with a negative response. Think of that verse that says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. I thought about the example of Paul and Silas. We read about their account in the book of Acts, chapter 16. You know, they could have had a lot of reasons to be discouraged, They had answered the Macedonian call and they were out preaching the gospel. They'd gone over to Philippi and uh, the city of Philippi. They were spreading the gospel. They had a prayer meeting by the river. People were getting saved. The Lord was beginning to establish the gospel there in that area of the world, that city. They were met with a woman who had a spirit of divination. She was possessed with an evil spirit. And she followed Paul and Silas and mocked them several days. And finally, Paul turned around and cast that evil spirit out her immediately. She was delivered, set free. You would have think this would have been a time of rejoicing. They were just doing what God wanted them to do, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that her masters, when they saw that their opportunity of making money, they were actually exploiting this. Poor woman's tragic spiritual condition. And when they realized she had been delivered uh, and their their ability to make money off of her was gone, they became angry. They drew them to the magistrates. You know what? They falsely accused Paul and Silas. You ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been just trying to do your best? You know you're serving the Lord faithfully, Your motives are pure. Your motives are honest. Your heart is right before God somebody accuses you falsely, questions your integrity, your motives. That would have been enough to discourage them right there. It says that these men exceedingly trouble our city. That wasn't the case at all. It gets even more difficult. They were drugged before those magistrates, and those magistrates believed that false accusation. It's difficult enough to be accused of something you're not guilty of, but to have other people believe that, that could be very discouraging. Not only that, it says, "...the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. They were punished for doing the right thing. It says, "...and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely." This wasn't just a slap on the wrist. It says they were beaten with many stripes. This was a severe beating. Imagine that. For doing the right thing. For simply trying to follow the Lord. To be obedient. It would have been real easy to say, you know what? This isn't worth it. This is not working at all like we planned it to work. But they kept, on, they kept their eyes on the Lord. They were placed in the stocks. And I love their response. It says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You know, when I read that, I thought, the prisoners heard them. What do people hear from me when I'm discouraged? Well, don't ask my family, okay? But what do people hear from us when we're discouraged or maybe we're uh, going through a difficult time? Maybe things don't work out like we planned. Uh, do they hear grumbling and complaining or do they hear praises? These men were praising the Lord. They were thanking God at midnight. I don't really, I'm not in too good of a mood at midnight. But these men were praising the Lord for, uh, in one verse it says they counted it a, a privilege to be, suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. The prisoners heard them, but you know what's more important? God heard them. God heard their praises. God hears us. God hears us when we mumble and grumble and complain, and God hears us when we praise the Lord and when we're encouraged. How did God respond to their reaction? Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. We've got two words there, suddenly and immediately. You know, when God chooses to act, when God chooses to move on our behalf, it's sudden and it's immediate. Nothing can stop it. And God sent this earthquake. Of course, we know the rest of the count. The prisoners, the doors were open, the chains fell off, and the Philippian jailer, assuming they had escaped, took out his sword discouraged, thought for sure he was going to have to give his life for the life of those prisoners and was just about to kill himself. And Paul cried out, said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. Of course, we know that. Uh, Jailer sprang in and he asked him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They preached Christ to him. It says that mom believed in his whole household. He was baptized that night. Souls were added to the kingdom of God and Many commentators say this was the beginning of the church in Philippi. God saw the big picture. What would have happened if somewhere along the line Paul and Silas would have become discouraged? We would be reading a much different account. But I I, I thank the Lord for these examples we have. Victories were won because they refused to be discouraged. You know, encouragement and discouragement, they both have three things in common. They're both contagious. They're both a choice, and they both will yield results of some kind or another. you ever been around somebody who just complained all the time? How do you feel after a day with them? I had a coworker one time, and every time I'd get on a job with him, it was a, it was a drain. The man was good at what he did, but the first words out of his mouth was, I hate this job. First thing. And it got very wearisome, but constantly just complaining and grumbling. He found another job. I heard he found two or three jobs since and He was never satisfied. But if you're around somebody who's encouraged, somebody who's upbeat, I tell you, that has an effect too. You ever went to visit an old saint or something thinking you're going to encourage them and you leave that place feeling encouraged yourself? I remember a sister I went to visit one time years ago. She was dying from cancer, and she'd served the Lord many years, had a hard life, really. Her husband was an alcoholic. She had an abusive life, but I tell you, she was a a, a wonderful example, somebody who loved the Lord. And I remember visiting her about three days before she passed away. She was laying there in that hospital bed in pain, terrible pain. And I asked her, I said, how are you doing? And she says, I'm wonderful. You know, you could not discourage that lady. I couldn't discourage her if I would have tried. I wasn't going to, but she just had something about it. I left that place amazed. She realized in just a few days she would be in the presence of the Lord. But I tell you, uh, that's what encouragement can do. It's contagious. You know, I thought about the account of Joshua and Caleb. Sometimes a choice of attitude, a change of attitude, requires a change of perspective. You read about their account in Numbers 12 and 13. We know that uh, God had given them the promised land, and they were sent out to spy out the land, 12 spies. So they went out and they spied out the land. You know what the land was? Everything God said it would be. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. There were high-walled cities. It was a fortified land land. It says they brought back some fruit, some grapes and pomegranates uh, from the land. It took two men to carry a cluster of grapes on their shoulders. Everything God promised them it would be. It was a land flowing. Milk and honey. You know, they all saw the same things with their physical eyes. Joshua and Caleb saw the same things that the rest of the spies saw. They saw the high-walled cities. They may have even had to scale a few of those walls to get in and spy out the land. They saw the giants. They saw all the obstacles. What made the difference? Did they have extra faith? I don't believe so. The Bible says every man is given a measure of faith, but it was the choice they made of where they were going to place their faith, where they were going to place their confidence. These other men, uh, they could only uh, place their confidence in what they saw with their physical eyes, but they, they focused on the obstacles. But Joshua and Caleb, they looked at God's promises, God's blessings, and that's what makes the difference. I remember reading a quote one time. It says, don't let your hearts be ruled by what you see. Let them be ruled by what God had promised. God gives us a choice. We want to focus on the promises of God. God's aware of those obstacles, those giants, but we want to focus on the promises like Joshua and Caleb did. You know, 45 years later, guess who went into that promised land? Out of that entire generation, two men, Joshua and Caleb, because they held on to God's promises. They looked through the eyes of faith and they trusted God to fulfill what he promised he would do. Discouragement leads to doubt. We know doubt can lead to unbelief. And sadly, that can lead to people being disinherited. If you read the account there in Numbers, chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, this was a result of those 10 men who failed to believe God's promises, those that gave into discouragement. It said, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. They disinherited themselves because they gave in to discouragement and unbelief. And you know, Discouragement can cause people to do the same thing today spiritually. They cause them to give up when victory is so close. Imagine they could look at that promised land. It was directly in front of them. It wasn't something that was afar off. It was right there, right in front of them. All they had to do was go in and possess it. How many people, uh, they get down to pray and God begins to bless them. They start to pour out their hearts to the Lord and the promises are right there. But then the enemy comes along and he plants a doubt or a fear in their mind and they give in to discouragement and they leave. Listen, don't give up. Victory is so close. These men, they kept their eyes on the Lord. We know 45 years later they were able to go in and possess the promises God had made for them. You know, God wasn't the least bit intimidated by those giants or those high wall cities. God is not intimidated by our circumstances. It, it doesn't diminishes power to fulfill his promises in the least. God is able to do what he promised and do what he said. you know the Bible tells us to provoke one another. Again this is where context matters. We're pretty good at provoking one another probably, but it says provoke one another to good works. you know we can encourage others with the words we say. we can be uh, encouragers. It's effective. It's contagious. You know, I thought about that account of Jonathan and his armor bearer, the one Brother Tom read this morning. You know what? They were facing a discouraging situation. You know, because of Saul's disobedience, Uh, God had rejected him for being king. And so Saul was with about 600 of of his best men there. And they were surrounded by a garrison of the Philistines. And if you read in that previous chapter, it said that, Among Saul's men there wasn't found sword or spear save in the hands of Jonathan and Saul. Out of 600 men, they had two spears and two swords surrounded by the garrison of the Philistines who were heavily armed and ready for battle. Certainly a discouraging situation from a human perspective. They were surrounded, but I love what Jonathan said here. He said, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let us go discover ourselves to the Philistines. And so they did that. They put out, uh, I guess wouldn't be a fleece, but they, they said, basically, uh, if they say, wait till we come down to you, then we'll wait. But if they say, come on up to us, we'll know that God has delivered them into our hands. So that's exactly what happened. They said, come on up. We'll show you a thing or two. And I love what Jonathan said. He told his armor-bearer to go on up. He said, there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. There's no restraint to the Lord. That restraint means to hold back or to hinder or to prevent. There's no restraint with the Lord. I say by many or by few, just two men. And they went up, of course. And I love the armor-bearer's response. He said, I am with thee to do all that is in thine heart. So two men, it says they had to climb up to where the enemy was on their hands and their feet, you know, just because the Lord promises victory doesn't mean it's not going to require some work and some effort. That could have been discouraging. They thought, "Well, here we have a promise, man. We got to climb up this mountain to get it. We're going to be worn out by the time we get up there." But they didn't think that way. They just obeyed and they climbed up, and we know the result. God gave a wonderful victory. It says there was a trembling in the host. God sent an earthquake and the multitude began to melt away and they began to beat down one another. God brought the victory because two men refused to be discouraged. Verse 21 of that same chapter says, Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Those that had Join the enemy's side when they heard the noise and realized what God was doing. They came back and joined the army of the Israelites. You know, that kind of effect. Uh, when revival starts to break out, when God starts to work for His people, when people become encouraged, the backsliders hear about it. They come back in and God can save them and restore them. Uh, encouragement is a wonderful thing. It just took two men willing to step out in faith. God brought an amazing victory. I thought of the words in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. The Word of God says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, when you're in that time of need, this is a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. We can come boldly, find help from the Lord. We get our eyes on the Lord. We can be victors instead of victims. We don't want to yield to discouragement. Why does God allow times of discouragement? Deuteronomy tells us, 8.2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God had led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep His commandments or not. Sometimes the Lord may allow those times of discouragement to try us, to tempt us, sometimes maybe even to humble us To prove us to know whether or not we'll trust the Lord. But if we do, God will bring the victory every time. You know, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, maybe the enemy is telling you, just give up. Why bother trying? You've tried before and it hasn't helped. You know, there's a wonderful promise for you in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Do you realize Christ is praying for you right now? If you're not saved, it tells us wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's why Christ came and He says He's seated at the right hand of His Father, ever interceding for you. God wants you to have the victory. Get your eyes on the Lord. Be encouraged. God will help you. Maybe you're feeling worn out. This morning. Maybe you've been serving the Lord a long time and you're just, you know, we can get tired. We can get weary and well doing sometimes. But I thought of that promises as they that endure to the end shall be saved. It says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God can help you this morning. If you're tired, if you're discouraged, uh, don't give up. Hang on. Look to the Lord. God will bless you, God can encourage you and strengthen you. It's not going to be much longer, saints. It really isn't. In closing, I thought of a a short story about an older missionary couple, and they had been serving the Lord faithfully for years over in Africa. And it got to the point in their lives that they had uh, gotten so old, their health began to fail. And and so they had to finally admit they needed to return home. So after many years, they boarded a ocean liner and sailed back to America, and, and they were a little discouraged and happened to be on that same ship. There was uh, President Teddy Roosevelt, happened to be traveling on that same ship, and he just spent time in Africa on a on a big game hunt. And he was bringing home all of his trophies, and there was this huge entourage and uh, celebrated the whole time on that ship. This couple went relatively unnoticed. Finally, as they uh, landed in that harbor, New York Harbor, and they disembarked off that ship, of course... The president was the first one off, and there was a huge parade of journalists and reporters and all of his supporters, and it was just a big parade and a big celebration. Sometime later, they got off that ship, and the man was just discouraged. He turned to his wife. He said, you know, we've been serving the Lord so long. He says, wouldn't it have been nice just to have somebody to welcome us home? So she just encouraged him. She said, talk to the Lord about it. So he did that night. He knelt by his bed and he told the Lord the same thing. He said, Lord, it would have been so nice just to have somebody welcome us home. And he says the Lord spoke to him and he said, you're forgetting you're not home yet. We're not home yet. We're getting close, but we're not home yet. But imagine what it will be like the day we get there. Jesus Christ Himself will meet you, welcome you into heaven. But we may have to endure some things during those times of discouragement. Remember, God is there to help you. God will strengthen you. The Lord is faithful. Let's sing to 610. These altars are open. Come, be encouraged this morning.